0: Hey, I'm Alan Hunter. You're listening on the Pantheon Network. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI forall.
1: This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG 13. This episode of See Here is dedicated to the memory of Herbert Boutros Caldry, otherwise known as Tiny Tim. We love you, Tiny. <laughs>
2: I'd like to welcome to my very good friend and colleague over in Toronto, not so tiny Tim Merrill.
1: Howdy. Tiptoe through the tulips.
2: Oh, welcome, Miss Tim. And over there in bath in england my very good friend miss bernard hello all right i'll drop that <laughs> i won't regale you with a rendition of tiptoe through the tulips or any of the other great classic tiny tim tunes but
3: all right I, I will paypal you twenty dollars if you speak in a tiny tim voice through this entire episode uh i don't think you have enough money uh, to, <laughs> to enable me to do Fine.
2: that but dear listeners, We are here to talk about Tiny Tim. More specifically, we are going to be speaking to the director of a new documentary called Tiny Tim, King for a Day. The director's name is Johan von Siedel, and we're very much looking forward to speaking to him very shortly. We're going to go to a quick break and play the trailer for the film, and then we'll be back with Johan talking all things Tiny Tim. So uh, don't you go tiptoeing through the tulips. We'll be back shortly.
0: Everybody thought that he was just a homeless guy who wandered into the club. I feel like someone from Mars coming to Earth. The sexual ambiguity, political ambiguity, ethnic ambiguity. It's all ambiguous with Tiny Tim. Tiny Tims on next. Tiny tip. When you're strange, faces come out of the rain. Who is this? Where did he come strange. from? Who dropped him here? I am the hottest talent in the whole country
1: finds him gets married on the tonight show watched by 50 million people you've played at the royal ever hall you've played at caesar's palace you toured the world what do you do where can you possibly go after that
0: i am praised by everyone and yet my soul is in hell <laughs> years ago they said i'd never make it tim hasn't been doing much television lately try to stick a pin my Tiny was willing to pursue pretty much any angle to make a comeback. So happy are great. There must be changes in my career. I didn't realize how addicted he was to the applause. Well it's
4: because you know. <coughs> you don't.
0: me there's a new podcast on the block video vortex podcast listen in as bucks ben and steph have a conversational discussion and talk about how much films affect us as people and as a society
1: yes we do all of those things
0: Along with guests from the industry and beyond. And get sucked into the video of vortex. Don't say sucked on a promo. <sighs>
1: we most definitely are making up on the spot.
0: Find us on assorted apps and at
4: videovortex.podbean.com.
0: Hi!
2: Welcome back to episode 77 of See Here Podcast. And we're very excited because we have on the other end of a Skype connection, Johan von Sydow. He's the director of a new documentary about Tiny Tim called Tiny Tim, King for a Day. Welcome to the show, Johan.
4: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
2: Congratulations on getting the film out. I know it's been a tough year for filmmakers to get their work seen, but no doubt you've had some level of screening. So I just wanted to start off with, I guess, what's something of an obvious question but what was your entry point for Tiny Tim. Do you remember a TV appearance? What was the first thing that you saw him on
4: and attracted I remember clearly I was doing another film about a Swedish artist who disappeared in the 60s and his friend and another artist told me that he loved Tiny Tim and then he started to laugh and his tears fell and he said you gotta check him out Tiny Tim. I hadn't heard about him and that was like eight or nine years ago and then I googled him and I think it was Tiptoe, I'm not sure but I think it was Tiptoe from last
0: Will you see this, Tiny has added a bit of choreography to his usual presentation. There is nothing usual about Tiny Tim's presentation. <laughs>
4: and my tears started falling in five seconds. So I thought wow, what a guy. What a story he must have. And I thought to myself I had to see the documentary about him. And I was started looking for it and found out that there wasn't any. And since that's my job, to tell stories and I had a friend, a colleague, Malik Ben who made Searching for Sugarman. And he was working on that one at that point. Then I thought, he can do a thing about an American artist. I can do that too. So then I started.
2: As part of your research, did you find out, did Chinese music actually mean anything in Sweden back in the day?
4: Very little. I'm a staff producer at the National Television Company, Swedish Television, and we have a huge archive from the 50s and on, and he wasn't even mentioned there, so he didn't make at all any impression in Scandinavia. He was in, I mean, he was in England and Germany and France, but not in Scandinavia.
2: Tim, you're the one who discovered this film. We're really, really enthusiastic that we should speak to you, and So, when was the first time you recall hearing Tiny Tim?
1: It absolutely probably undeniably had to be with laughing when I was a young kid I mean three or four years old Mm. when you see somebody like Tiny you definitely remember that. There's not a lot you remember of your early early childhood but when certain characters or songs stick out and I remember he was one of them. That's amazing.
2: I I remember actually seeing the laughing appearance back all that time and like it was a real blast to come and see that back in the film. Bernie do you have any recollection of hearing anything about Tiny Tim?
3: Yeah, like Tim, when I was, this this would have been a little later, I was probably about like 12, 13 years old. They would uh, show reruns of Laughing over here. And I remember seeing an episode with Tiny Tim and just thinking, what the heck is that? <laughs> um, and then then a few years after that, in my, my sort of late teens, I developed a real interest in sort of American counterculture of the the late 60s. Summer of Love and all that kind of thing, and so I, I was reading a lot of books and magazines about that period, and Tiny Tim would occasionally come up, and you know, obviously he was adopted by the uh, the counterculture in a way, so those things came together and it sort of started making some kind of sense.
4: Do you remember what you felt? Was he it, was it only funny,
3: or did you what did you see? I don't know, he kind of was, he was funny, but he wasn't funny. He just seemed to be a man out of time almost, or maybe not even out of time, a man kind of almost from a different planet or something. A very strange, unique, but interesting individual, I guess.
1: I think if Tiny had ever gone out on stage and faked it, he wouldn't have been able to pull any of it off. Everybody would have just said it was just all bullshit. Yeah. But because he was so earnest and sincere, and it was undeniable in his face and in all of it, that he was out there sincerely doing what he wanted to do. It wasn't yeah. a shtick. It wasn't something just to get the middle-class conservatives all flipped out with his hair and his falsetto I think he went out there to give 110% of who he wanted to honestly be
3: yeah
4: and it didn't matter if there was one person in the in the crowd or a thousand yeah
3: right yeah Well, he was doing it 10, 15, 20 years before he even got discovered or, you know, picked up on, wasn't he? So it was, I think it genuinely was him. That's the thing that your film really gets across.
2: He loved to be in the limelight and he felt he was always going to succeed no matter what. But it wasn't a commercial decision. It was just he wanted to be able to Mm. perform music. And one thing I really, really loved about your film, this seems to be a common thing that they have in a lot of documentaries, but you used it to really great effect, was the animated sequences early on in the film where you show the impression that he's, he's sitting there. We get the black and white real world which is not so pretty for him. But then you go to colour while he's imagining all the beautiful people in the 1930s dancing and listening to the songs of Bing Crosby, all those great Tin Alley tunes. I'm comparing it to The feeling that the Mia Farrow character gets in the purple rose of Cairo, watching (laughs) all those beautiful people. She lives in that imaginary world, and so does Tiny Tim, but that was the world that he fell into. It
4: was the only beautiful world that he could find, I think. Mm -hmm. Right.
1: I was just thinking about time periods between now and 30 years ago from now, I mean, 30 years in the past, that would have been like the grunge era. When Tiny, the period that he was playing his music, he was only really playing music that was like 30 years behind. A lot of the people, they looked at the songs and his mannerisms and all of that as something that was like from another planet. But actually, like I said, it was only about 30 years back. Yeah. And I find that really interesting. And I think maybe it was because of the hippie era and everybody looking forward that nobody wanted to look back. You know, it, you know, it's like it might as well have been a thousand years behind him. It didn't matter. I mean, that's what I got out of it.
4: You mean that he didn't uh, that he didn't succeed to continue his uh, career that well in the seventies?
1: Yeah, and also yeah. just because of the fact that the music that he was playing, people thought it was just so archaic and ancient. When yeah. in fact, it was only really about. 30 years. Prior. Yeah. And I just think that's so amazing. They're saying, oh, look at this dinosaur. And he's like, no, he wasn't really a dinosaur. He would have been considered classic hits today.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
4: I mean, on the debut album, there were maybe half of it was new written pop songs from Richard Perry, the producer. He ordered from cool writers back then in 68. So it was a mixture of the old Tin Pan Alley and pop songs.
2: I was telling Tim and Bernie before we started recording with you that. I wouldn't say not, I'm like, not even a fan, but just I casually knew Tiny Tim from Tiptoe Through the Tulip, but I also remember Eve of Destruction coming out in the 90s, this full-on blown rock record.
1: This whole darn world, it is
0: exploding Violence flaring, police loading. You're old enough to kill, but not for voting. You don't in war, but,
1: but what's the gun you're toting?
2: So in preparation for our conversation tonight, I went back to listen to that debut album, God Bless Tiny Tim. And I wasn't sure what to expect. Was it just going to be him and a ukulele for 30 minutes or what it was going to be? And exactly what you're saying there, Johan, is that the song's are contemporary or the the old style tim panelli songs done in a really refreshing way that absolutely fitted in in 1968 and i was wanting to know did you find out anywhere in your research whether he had any connection or any working relationship with harry Nilsson? because god bless tiny tim to me sounds like a late 1960s harry Nilsson album almost
4: okay yeah interesting i don't think there is any collaborations but can i understand what you're i can hear it too but uh, i can say that richard perry the producer who that was one of his earliest albums that he made and when i met him he was really nostalgic and really proud of the first two tiny team albums it was on his top 10 albums that he made he he thought he was uh, he really loved it
2: How did you start putting the film together because I mean I know like with any documentary there's going to be the requisite amount of interviews with admirers and talking heads and one thing I really loved about your film was the people who you spoke to were just people who had involvement in his life you didn't get Bono or, some, or <laughs> Elvis Costello or someone like think, oh man Tiny Tim was my jam or something like that. How easy or otherwise was it to get people to come on board like Wavy Gravy or Miss Sue?
4: When I started eight years ago when I saw those first clips then I found Justin Martel on the internet I understood that he was some kind of an expert so I contacted him and he was in the midst of writing Tiny's biography then. it It was released like four years ago maybe. It's a great book. So we have been cooperating since. I was working for our TV channel, and sometimes going to the United States for other jobs, and then me and Justin, okay, I'm going to Los Angeles, who can we find there for me to interview? So I was doing this like on my spare time, in the evenings, making interviews with people, Richard Perry, and the very first interview was with Mr. Pennebaker in New York. Wow! Yeah. So it was for like four years, it was an underground (laughs) private work. And then I got my company interested and I got a production money from other places so I could do some other interviews. Justin Martel put you in contact with a lot of those people. Yes. Yeah.
2: Mm. Yeah. We should mention that the name of his book is Eternal Troubadour.
4: Yeah, it's fantastic. And Justin often Was there when we did interviews and we were referring it to like the Bible, the Tiny Tim Bible.
3: Johan, was there anybody that you uh, really wanted to speak to that you were unable, they couldn't get in touch with them or they just flat out refused or were people pretty forthcoming about Tim?
4: There are some that we didn't succeed, but the one that I'm most proud of that we in a way got an answer was Bob Dylan. He said, wow, just to get a no from him felt like a success. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And we also got film his private films that he shot from of um, Tiny, 66. Right. Yes. My, yeah, yeah. That's
1: the circus footage? Yeah.
4: We, we could yeah. use them at first for free until we got uh, financing. And so that was really nice.
2: You had a little bit of footage of Tiny talking about him being with the great Mr. Dillon and the photos of them together at Woodstock.
0: Speaking with the world's greatest
2: entertainer today,
0: Mr. Dillon
2: and his wanting me
0: for a movie, Lord willing. Thank you for the wonderful talent he sees in me. To be a close friend of him, to stay and sleep in his house, well, this was too much. And to top it all, he is paying me for it, thanks as I also sang for his beautiful wife and kids.
2: Looking at how Bob looked at that point, it looked like it was circa 68, like back when he's on Woodstock post-motorbike accident. Yeah,
4: it's, it's the post-motorbike, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's something that I find really interesting. So you're watching Tiny Tim on shows like laugh and Dick Martin either sincerely or maybe just for show is looking around like, this guy's a weirdo, this guy's a freak. And yet with Bob Dylan, Dylan always has been a walking catalogue of the history of Americana and knows thousands of songs. And did anyone still, like, talk to you and say like, that Dylan had seen Tiny Tim as a kindred spirit because he was a walking jukebox as well?
4: Yeah, I mean, I asked uh, Mr. Pennebaker about that. What did Mr. Dylan see in Tiny? He saw a performer. That's what he said. There are those two kind of audiences he had in the 60s in the Greenwich Village Wavy Gravy, Jonas Mikas, Bob Dylan, they saw a unique performer. Maybe they saw that he was kind of crazy, but he saw that his heart and soul on stage. And then after 68, he became more like someone laughing stock. But you had these double images of him.
2: I don't remember what the song was. You showed the footage where Johnny Carson is obviously super impressed with a song that Tiny's gone and done on the tonight show and Johnny says to him, We didn't expect that. Almost like this new level of respect for him. But then you also show that footage, I think, like after he's gone and separated from his first wife from Miss Vicky, and I think he's rolling around on the
4: floor and Yeah. Do you think I'm sexy? Exactly what
0: they're If you hold my
2: And you think I'm sexy
0: Come on, baby, let
2: me know Carson does not look impressed. It's almost as if if he said, oh my gosh, I took you on as like my personal protégé, my personal project, and what are you doing? Just the the look on his face, I got that impression.
4: Yeah, but Carson did say late in his life that Tiny Tim was his favourite guest of all times. Wow. I learnt a
2: lot from this film because I didn't really know that much about his history, but that just completely blew my mind that apart from the moon landing, I'd always heard that the Beatles' appearance on the Ed Sullivan show had the most number of people watching on television but according to this it seems like Tiny Tim getting married had more people.
4: Who are the Beatles? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, (laughs) exactly.
2: I've got this great Beatles bootleg which had all the official Christmas club records that they put out. Every year they'd say thank you to their fans and put out like one of those little plastic records and they got more and more weird as they went on and in the 1968 record you have Tiny talking with George Harrison and and he sings Nowhere Man with the ukulele I
1: have a special guest here this evening mr tiny tim i'd like to ask him to say a few words
0: oh hello to you nice beetles uh it's so wonderful and what a thrill it is talking here he's a oh. Real oh.
2: I'd heard that years ago, and I wasn't even actually sure if it was really Tiny Tim or someone who was mocking him.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, it was him. (laughs) One aspect of Tiny's career that wasn't a part of your film, but I thought was interesting was when he did Blood Harvest, the one horror movie that he
0: did. Marvelous Mervo at your
1: service. Do you know, was he happy after doing that? Or was it just something like, I need the work? What kind of a situation was that? Do you know anything
4: about that? I don't know much about it. I know Justin knows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because he knows the guy who made it. But we decided not to bring that to interview him, the director of that one. Uh, and since he didn't do any more acting, I'm not sure if he was very happy about it. I don't Okay. But Richard Perry also talked about that Tiny could have been big in the movie business, in the horror business, horror movies. Oh, yeah.
2: That seems to be the thing about Tiny is that he just wanted the love. He wanted the attention and he didn't mind if he was going to be playing the clown, playing the fool in a cheap horror film, or he was going to be rolling around on stage doing Do You Think I'm Sexy? Is pretty much,
3: if I'm entertaining you, that's mission yeah. accomplished. I think it's interesting that, and, you know, obviously you touch on this uh, in the film, but he seemed to have had a fairly dysfunctional relationship with his parents. Yeah. It, it seems to me that he spent the rest of his life trying to gain acceptance and love from wherever he could by performing yeah. Right. Basically. It, it and does feel it, that way. Yeah. And it's doubly interesting as well that when he did get a measure of fame and acceptance, that he would bring his parents uh, out of the audience and they're on the cover of his second LP. He must have had a, a sort of complex, strange relationship with his parents. But then yeah, I, I yeah, guess we'll do, don't we?
4: His mother didn't seem to be a very nice lady. No, she no, she, not she good not at all. The amazing thing about the film and the book is that just in just like four or five years, Years ago found the tiny's diaries his journals mm-hmm. so that i mean uh, without them it would be been a completely different film so that was just luck that it was the son of one of tiny's mob managers who, who called justin and said i have a bag full of tiny's diaries do you want to buy them
3: that's a, a, another turn as well which is you know truth is stranger th- than fiction that he would actually yes. wind up being managed by the mob effectively it yeah. was <laughs> just i didn't know that that was crazy you associate that with the Rat Pack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm with the big boys now,
2: he <laughs> <laughs> Did you have to get his widow's permission to use the diaries in the film? Yeah. She was completely okay with it? We could use them. What was your relationship like with Miss Sue? Was she saying, look, ask me anything you want, go anywhere you want? Were there any things that she felt uncomfortable with?
4: No. He, she really was open with everything. When she saw the film, there was a few pictures that she said, oh, he doesn't look pretty on that. Can't we take another?" Another picture where he looks sex more sexy. <laughs> so that was the only thing that she was concerned about. <laughs> if you want my body and you think I'm sexy,
0: come and sure let me know. If you really need me, just reach out and touch me. Come on, tell me so, baby. He's
4: actually- she said that she still gets young girls and women contacting her saying oh they fell in love with Tiny and wanted to know things about him so <laughs> wow. he still he still keeps uh, <laughs> attracted being, keep girls attracted to him
3: still a ladies man even though yeah. he's not be around for 20 years.
1: how did you go about getting Weird Al involved because I, I thought like his voice was really great for the narration yeah. I love it
4: he was from an American co-producer who knew that uh, he, they had performed together and that loved Tiny he immediately <laughs> Said yes and we recorded it in Los Angeles and I said from the beginning that I wanted to be very somber very serious don't act anything be right. like you're reading in your head and he was did it very good it was very easy
0: at this moment I am the hottest talent in the whole country I am the toast of the city from Hollywood to New York I am praised by everyone and yet with all the shouting and sinning my soul is in hell, and I cry out for help, oh Jesus.
2: He did a terrific job because the moments that you selected from the diaries to read were all about those moments where Tiny was saying, I'm the biggest star in the world, and yet I'm in the torments of hell. Weird Al's delivery, this man who we always associate as a funny man, just got to the heart of how imagine tiny must have been failing yeah how vulnerable he was yeah I
4: like it very much
1: I think there's a real theme of duality in your film with the life of tiny because it it almost seems like he wants to go forward but then he also wants a simpler way and it just seems like there's feelings he has one I'm not going to give out any spoilers but there's feelings he might have where it just seems like he was always conflicted like Morris was saying he didn't care how people saw him as long as they saw him but at the same time he would go forward looking for love, whereas he was just in the face of ridicule. I just felt like there was a real duality to his life.
4: Yeah, I think he was really was a tormented soul in that way. He had a religion very, very strong, belief in Jesus, and he had his love for women, all women. And when you read the diaries, it's this fight on every page and every single day almost. We were talking about it. Someone should publish the diaries. They are such a read. It's uh, unbelievable. He's very intelligent and smart and sometimes you just think, who is this guy? He's crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Johnny Pineapple, a friend of his for the the last few years of his life, says that he's the most intelligent man man he ever met. That he knew so much. He read a lot. He he knew really everything. But still, he he was (laughs) totally out there.
2: I think what you say there is pretty much like the calling card for the film in the opening two minutes. So we get this, what the hell, who is this guy? With mm. him doing both voices for I've Got You, Babe, that performance that opens <laughs> up the film. They say our love will
0: pay the rent Before it's earned, our money's always spent Well, I don't know, we ain't got no plot Still I'm sure of all the love we got
2: Babe, babe
0: I got you, babe.
2: I got and you, babe. then we see him on the set of Beat Club, the German program, German music program. He's speaking with such candor, such openness, such honesty. It's not the character of Tiny Tim blowing kisses to the audience and saying, oh, thank you very much. Thank you. He's saying,
0: going through the city for almost 10 years, 13 years at least, uh, being as a freak. It was really a challenge that I tried to overcome. Because in all fairness, by 1962, every friend of mine and every relative had given up on me. They, they would come into my mother's house and just shake their head when they saw me and walk the other
2: way. It's almost like he dropped the facade, if that was a facade, Uh, and he's speaking with such honesty, and that two minutes just, I think, summarizes everything that you're going to see from that point on. Do you think that, despite the fact that he, he was prepared to do anything to have attention paid to him, that... It some way being looked at that way did hurt him and that was where his torment came from doing the freak show Flea Circus doing the circus later on in life when his star had fallen is there anything that you knew of that was in the diaries that said that well I'll do whatever but it really does hurt
4: yes you can see that sometimes but not very much but you can see that he wants another life but he doesn't let it show very much but you can understand that and also in the, the beginning beginning of the film it's almost like he's been in therapy for years and he talks very like intelligence mm-hmm. that I was a freak but now I'm here. It looks like
3: now I'm well but he keeps on being a freak. Going back to what I mentioned earlier, his relationship with his parents, well, your kind of thoughts and feelings and self-image are all kind of shaped in the first sort of I think sort of seven to ten years of your life. As you're growing up you're continually told that you were freak or you're wrong or you're strange as you get older it's difficult to shake that and I, I kind of get the feeling with tiny Tim that he was hoping that he would get some salvation almost through entertaining by being recognized as an entertainer exactly yeah. yes and I think when he actually got there and he got that it didn't make any difference I think he still felt like a freak he was still unhappy and I think that probably added a lot to his torment over the years
0: when you're strange, when you're
4: in Las Vegas, but he wasn't happy (laughs) anyway. Exactly,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. It's difficult. You are who you are in your head, aren't you? And even if someone's suddenly paying you loads of money and telling you you're amazing, you've still spent the last 30 years thinking there's something wrong with you it's and it's difficult to get out of that mindset so i kind of get the impression that, that there was a big element of that with tiny tim yes i just wonder
2: whether he would have actually maybe had a happier life if he'd stayed in greenwich village and just performed in the folk clubs for a few years for as long as they were a thing
4: yeah having an alternative culture career on the low scale
2: yeah as we said at the start of this because 2020 it's probably been difficult to get the film out in the scene. You had this showing on the Fantasia Film Festival. Has it been shown in any other...
4: Yes, there was a festival in Paris as well. A small festival two weeks ago mm-hmm. Whether it was showed... I mean, the Fantasia was only digital, but this was in theatres in Paris. Oh, wow. Great. And now it's scheduled for theatre release in the US and in Sweden and Canada, I think. Excellent. Uh, Excellent. In November.
2: Have you had any feedback yet from how both the casually interested film goer has received it, and also how the Tiny Tim's fan base has received it.
4: There was a lot of writings on like different websites and magazines, um, both in France and in the, after the Montreal showings, and it, it was really positive, extremely positive. That people seem to love it. We knew Tiny Tim, but we knew nothing about his life, so this was so enlightening. And uh, where Al Yankovic gets a lot of praise as well. This has been amazing to meet, and uh, I hope it will be showing on a lot of theaters. They in the beginning it's the big cities in the states, but they are planning to make it
3: roll over the country.
4: Corona lets it.
3: <laughs> mm. Yeah, Has Justin seen it, what was his take on it? Did he enjoy it?
4: Oh yes. Yeah, good. He was involved a lot, and uh, yeah. we have been fight we have been fighting a lot, but now. <laughs> <laughs>
3: happy. <laughs> your film. You, you get the final say, Johan, because it's your <laughs> film. <laughs>
2: I haven't actually read Eternal Troubadour but I'm aware that it's a really comprehensive book and so there must have been a whole lot of detail that you couldn't touch on in a really it's like a 75 minute film was there anything that you were thinking I'd like to put in there but it interrupts the flow of the story I'm trying to tell
4: oh there's a million things that I would love to have it has really been a a tough ride choosing and for for a while it was much longer but then we felt that uh, it's better it it's easier it's it's better to have a short film and you want to have more than to have the feeling that it's too long so we right. decided to make it a short documentary shorter documentary and the people can find out <laughs> more about him.
1: In a way that's kind of good I think because then there's a lot of gems that you might have tapped into for the film and now like once you pique people's interest and yeah. people are going to go forward now and dig into the vaults and go oh wow like that's that's awesome. I hope so. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As I approach the prime of my life, I find I have the time of my life learning to enjoy at my leisure all the simple pleasures
2: and so I happily conceive. Was there anything that you discovered through your research and through the making of this film? Because I mean, you said that when you first heard about Tiny Tim nine years ago or something, yeah. and your first reaction, which was pretty much what a lot of people's first reaction would have been if they hadn't known anything else about him, which was to laugh and think, who is this strange guy? But As you went on, was there something that came to you that was a complete surprise, something that you didn't expect or as a result of having done the research with Justin?
4: I love... I I still laugh when I think about how I understood his political views and when I have told people that I interviewed and asked him what did you know about his political views back then in 68, 69 and everybody thought that he was like a flower power hippie guy no he was a right wing hawk <laughs> what? way with <would laughs> <raise> the reaction <laughs> <accent. laughs> he just falls to the floor what? <laughs> <laughs> why? Yeah, he was he was pro the Vietnam War all the all the way and <laughs> so he was very wow. much African and he would have been Trump supporter 100% oh
1: man that's oh. Oh, no.
2: He'd feel dual divisions there because at one point he says how his second wife, or soon to be ex-second wife, had been hit upon by Donald
4: Trump. So that was uh, funny. Mr. de Blasio, who was his manager in 68, 69, he said he explained how they have to hide... anything political when they were doing uh, interviews don't talk about that talk about how much you love your mother's apple cake (laughs) don't talk about the war don't mention the war I mentioned it once but I think I got away with it All
2: right. at one point you talk in the film about the trip that he made to Sydney in the 1980s I think about how he performed was 140 songs trying to get into the Guinness Book of World Records for doing the most number of songs in one go and I don't think that the film actually explains but you, you say that it didn't get into the Guinness Book of World Records but did anyone actually say
4: why was it disqualified? I knew it a year ago but now I've forgotten why there was, <laughs> there was some like bureaucracy in the Guinness hierarchy, I'm not sure but ah, they wow. were very disappointed Has anyone
2: broken that record since? Uh, I don't know. If no one's done that since then I think you know we ought to start up a petition.
1: Yeah, absolutely <laughs> They should have realised, you know, the Guinness Guinness Book of World Records is great, but how could they make it better by having Tiny Tim in the Guinness Book of World Records?
2: (laughs) I mean, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm sure, obviously, you would have watched it, Johan. But Tim, Bernie, did you watch? Is on YouTube the entire TV special he recorded while he was in Australia? He'd come to Australia years before that Guinness Book of World Records attempt. Yeah. I think 1970, and he did something on the Channel Seven network here.
4: That was odd. (laughs) Strange.
2: And yet, in some ways, I think it holds its own. Given that, like, whenever you get a performer who does a one-off special, they always try to get other actors to do sketches with them and pretty much the focus for the whole show was Tiny there were no comedy sketches like a, a famous Australian actor saying hey Tiny how are you enjoying your time down under which uh, cultural cringe we do that a lot here unfortunately <laughs> the first part of the show has him just doing like a whole bunch of songs just him and the ukulele then there's one with a backdrop of him doing a few Australian songs he even did like the Australian National Anthem <laughs> Thank you. does like a rock and roll medley but the strangest thing of all in that show for about 30 minutes he's singing songs to a group of young children which would never hold in the 21st century but even for then it looks really really odd so what were your thoughts? you would have seen that your because i mean i think you actually have like a few seconds of footage from that
4: yes we do i, I mean it's really strange and funny and he, he sings for these children and he was very uncomfortable when he was with children. He couldn't relate to children at all, he says. so. That was one of the things that his manager left him in like 69 because they had a big deal for him to be a host for a children's show they wanted to do that and he just said no i can't be near children i don't i don't understand them
3: wow (laughs) yeah wasn't his third lp sort of uh, aimed at children was it children's songs
4: and people say also that there were several things like around 1970 that destroyed ruined his career and there was also an album that was released that was illegal that someone re- released with songs recorded back in 1964, maybe, like a bootleg LP, and yeah, it was yeah. released in- really big numbers and people bought it and, and thought wow Tiny Tim never again so <laughs>
3: that was one of the things that ruined his career and then the mafia it's like the whole Tiny Tim story it's like a, a perfect confluence of everything coming together in the right place at the right time it's just exactly. it, it could have only happened at that point in history yeah. with him doing what he was doing then and the, you know the, the correct people seeing him and it all just coming together it's a perfect Crazy. storm <laughs> yeah exactly
1: Tiny wasn't a real person like his whole life story it would be like a Coen Brothers movie <laughs> it just seems yeah. like you know the rise the fall and he still goes on and yeah but there was this other Australian f- film that
4: the artist Martin made in... Uh, he was filming it for, like, at least 10 years, maybe more. And it was released sometime in the 80s. And it's uh, really poetic. Pieces of that film are fantastic. Uh, he really loved Tiny and thought that he was one of the big entertainers in the world. What was that about? What was that film? The setting was that there was a big fire in Sydney at the amusement park in Sydney. Yes, Luna Park, yep. Luna Park in the 80s. So they had filmed Tiny a lot and then that fire occurred and then Mr. Martin made that the main story and Tiny was at Luna Park and he was doing a lot of things and it was in New York also. So he films Tiny with his mother in the 80s. Yeah, that's a really sometimes very poetic and sometimes just strange film. I want
2: to come back to the concept of the animation that we spoke a little bit about before. Who actually did that and did you? Do you have your own ideas about how you wanted it to look? Did your collaborator come up with it? What's What's the story behind that?
4: We were looking for an artist who could make animations with a personal. We just wanted something personal. We, we hadn't a, a clear image what we wanted, but we wanted someone who fell for the story and wanted to make something out of their own head. And then we find this Marko Mastrovic in Croatia who is Isiak. artist and he did some animations and so it was mainly him him and his wife doing it and i just loved it it was it's so simple and and yet it tells a lot about the atmosphere
2: so how much information did you provide them and was it their creativity or did you come up with exactly what you wanted
4: yeah we said that now it's 30 seconds in his home and this is the information that we are given this is what people say his parents are in the bedroom so it was we were quite (laughs) <laughs> quite precise that gave
2: me a big laugh i got to confess there's no closed doors in this apartment And oh yeah
1: <laughs>
4: <laughs> yeah yes. we were there we were there knocking at the apartment to try to film in but nobody opened the door
1: we received more mail
4: about you than almost anyone else we've ever had on the show
0: Oh, thank you out there in television land.
2: Tiny's been gone. There's no surprises here. So the film ends just shortly following his death. But how did you feel about including the footage where we see him collapse? Like not actually where he dies, but like two months before. yeah, He goes on stage, he's not been feeling well, and he just falls forward, because like as a spectator I, I found that absolutely, it made me jump out of my seat. Yeah, 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 me too, yeah.
4: Would you rather not have it, or as a viewer? I'm
2: glad it's there. I didn't feel like I was watching something that wasn't meant to be seen, but I did find it really shocking, and in, in a way, it brought home the final tragedy of the end of his life, all the more so. He'd been living in poverty, and He'd not been taken seriously, no matter how right. he'd tried to do. And that was just sort of like the, the final straw. But I was just wondering whether that was something for you, whether you were toying with, should I include this, should I not include this?
4: We thought about it, but if he had died there, then it would have been different. But now, I mean, he recovered, he did perform again. I want it very much to be in the film.
1: There's a real emotional investment, I think, that you get from that because it's almost like from the beginning of the film, Tiny's almost like this baby bird that you find and you're trying to nurture it and watch it go along on its journey <laughs> and get its wings and fly and then it flies and then it comes down again and then at the end when you see it kind of fall over, you're like, oh, you know, and it just, yeah. if you're really into Tiny and you see that, it's like watching your kid kind of trip off of a stage, you know, and you just want to rush to them.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah I think it's strong and I'm Maybe one thing that I regret that we, that's not in the film are his friends from the last few years called the, the Tiny Heads. They were like his fans and then they became his friends all over the States. I mean, he was doing such small shows that his manager called his, the Tiny Heads and said, oh, no, Tiny is coming to Boston. And then they got, picked him up at the airport and drove him to the gigs and stuff like that. They were really good friends. So we met a few of them and they were talking memories and a few of them were there when he got that heart attack and, and then we rushed <laughs> to him and we, I ran out and got them, people to call an ambulance that's dramatic and yeah, that was amazing he really had friends that loved him so very much and, and they all said that he was a good friend, he wasn't just a, like a star, He he was with us all the time when we wanted to
2: At the end of it, what comes through was that he was not this one dimensional character if you'd only seen that little bit of footage on laughing, or it's caught some other performance of him saying, "Oh, Miss Vicky, oh, Miss Sue." You really do tell a story about a human being with dark feelings, as a lot of us do. A man with fierce intelligence, and really, what comes down to it, whilst his singing voice may not have been your thing, but it's obvious that he had a great singing voice. I and mean, the, the very beginning of the film, coming back to "I Got You, Babe," and he has not just this falsetto soprano but he has this vibrato which is really really hard to pull off and that was just part of what he did he was a talented human being he was a person who cared about other people I I get all this impression of your film and I think I can speak on behalf of all of us that your film was a great success and that you conveyed this story and the character of the man that people who might not know anything about him apart from the one song would never have guessed more power to you yeah
4: thank you yeah I really come to like him a lot I'm not sure that I would love to work with him or be with him for a long time but (laughs) he's really a lovable figure and character and he really made a life that no one would have expected in the 40s or 50s.
3: Well, I think you say at the start of the film, or or somebody mentions, but um, he basically had to invent himself and invent his own reality almost, despite the ups and downs. He kind of succeeded in doing that, didn't he?
4: He started the diary. The journals start from 1952, when he's 20 years old. The first year, he writes, one day I will be a star. Mm -hmm. He was so into that from early age. And then he writes about how everybody This disbelief in him and how his parents wants him into the mental hospital, mm-hmm. how people kick him on the street. Even like in 1964, he says one day I will be the biggest star and his father says, cut your hair and get a job for <laughs> Christ's <laughs> sake. He was like yeah. 35 years old then. He wasn't a kid yeah. anymore. No.
2: Yeah. I know that with every mania that's related to showbiz, there's always paraphernalia that's sold. So, you know, there were Beatles wigs and Welcome Back Cotter board games and the like. Did you find out anything where there was a rush on Tiny Tim wigs or...
4: Plastic ukuleles. <laughs> I think there were quite a few things that they wanted to to, to sell, but I think they all got too late. He was already beginning to fade away when they had it out on the market, so I don't think they made any big money on anything. He did write a book, a small book with, with like phrases. I remember one phrase one phrase on each uh, page and it said don't discourage Tiny Tim made it things like that Yeah, I think that one maybe sold because that was still in 69 but cardboard game and that never sold much I think
1: I know there were dolls there were actual dolls with the yeah. string you could pull on the back and then he would have like phrases and things yeah going <laughs>
4: what's next for you, Johan? I've been only in the same time as I, parallel, I've been doing a, a film about a Swedish artist also for six or seven years and it also was premiered this month, so I'm kind of empty now and it feels like <laughs> ooh. So now I'm waiting for something to fill me up. How
2: was your headspace having to concentrate on two films at once? I mean, were you waiting for financing for one or waiting for information to come from the other? How difficult was it to do that?
4: I decided to give it a go, and and I've been doing other things for my yeah. station. I mean, I've been working full-time with other things and doing this on my spare time, so I thought, I keep on going and see what happens, and I've given up a few times. And then Justin calls and says, I found the the diaries or something like that so then, wow. let's go let's go so it, it's been a ride but now I'm of course really happy that we made it all the way I don't know I'm not sure if I will do another eight year with the next film that's uh... <laughs> For the
2: film's release, I mean, I know you're saying that you're going to be getting some cinematic release in the U.S. And is there any talk of it getting like a, a DVD release or a streaming
4: release in the next few months? I'm not sure when, but we they are discussing that. So hope, uh, hopefully it will be the winter.
2: All we can say to our listeners is you know, please keep an eye out for Tiny Tim, King for a Day at a cinema near you or for in a few months time on a streaming service that you subscribe to. We just loved this film it's 75 minutes, but it's so packed with a lot of information. We all learned something out of it. I know I certainly gained a new appreciation for tiny Tim and his work. And that first album, which I went and listened to for the first time in preparation for this, God bless tiny Tim was amazing it was really not what i was expecting i was thinking oh, i'm going to turn this off after two or three songs as i said earlier it sounds like a, a late 60s nelson era album and it's it's just like one of these undiscovered gems or forgotten gems thank you for putting this film out oh
1: yeah <laughs> thank absolutely you. thank you for giving us your time today darling. thank you very much really- it was my pleasure it was fun yeah like this was great
2: we come now to the end of episode 77 of see here podcast we have a couple of irons in the fire for what's going to happen for episode 78 but we'll be posting that in the facebook group so just keep an eye out for that johan is there any way how people can keep up with what you're up to and how they can easily find out where the film will get screenings
4: the easiest way is there is a facebook page for tiny Tim King for a day so that's the easiest way there, there will be information on that page on Facebook
2: we'll put a link in the show notes once again huge thanks to you johan for uh, being on sea here it's been an absolute blast
4: thanks again thank you very much bye 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 thanks bye bye <laughs> <laughs>